0: This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. The country of Japan had long prided itself with having a very low crime rate. Violent crime and mass murders were extremely rare. Schools had always been safe, but all that changed in the summer of 2001. This is Apple for the Teacher, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Anna Thomas. Today's episode is called Samurai. The man entered the school with a knife what happened? It was 20 years ago that the school day had just started at a school in the Osaka prefecture in Japan. The Aikida Elementary School was attached to a university and therefore it was considered an elite school. Across the road from the school was a grocery store. The cashier suddenly saw some very frightened children run into the store and she noticed that some of them had blood on their clothes. She recalled, I saw one of them, a boy, with blood all over his body. He had been stabbed in the back. The people in the store were shocked at what they had just witnessed but had no idea what was happening at that very time just across the road at the school. These fortunate children had managed to flee but there were others who were not so lucky. A crazed man had entered the school and started stabbing children with a knife. An early news report described what had happened.
1: Well, local media is reporting that at least seven children and one teacher were killed after a man forced his way into this elementary school in Osaka Prefecture in western Japan, stabbing them and uh, dozens of others with a kitchen knife that uh, he carried into the school with him. Most of the casualties first and second grade students at the Ikeda Elementary School, uh, which is part of the Osaka Kyoiku University uh, compound. According to eyewitnesses, the man forced his way into the school over a balcony um, at around 1020 in the morning local time. That's nearly four hours ago now. Uh, during a recess, they say he went from classroom to classroom, stabbing the children as he went uh, until he was finally subdued by two of the teachers at the school and held by them until the police arrived. Police say they believe the man is a 37-year-old who lived in the area. There have been reports that he has a police record, uh, may have been on drugs when he committed the attack. Uh, Still a very chaotic uh, scene at the school and local area hospitals where the uh, injury had been taken. Um, Students being rushed out of the school after the incident into the playground Um, and uh, emergency workers still all around the area. Teachers and of course uh, very anxious and worried uh, relatives who are there to see if uh, their children are among those that have uh, Uh, been affected by this uh, stabbing rampage in Osaka.
0: So, in the early days of the attack, there was much conjecture and questions about what had happened and why. But as the days and weeks went by, a clear picture had emerged of exactly what had occurred and of the perpetrator behind the massacre, which had been unprecedented in Japan. In towns like Aikida, which is 20 kilometres outside of Osaka, Schools are open, trusting places where community members are welcome. School massacres, the Japanese believed, happened only in America. There were no metal detectors in Japan's elementary schools. School gates were left open, and there were no security guards. But it was this very openness that allowed a man to easily walk into the school and submit the school to 10 minutes of terror, which resulted in eight children losing their lives all from the second grade so of course the country wanted answers how could one of their own citizens commit such a brutal act the picture that emerged of the perpetrator was that of a man who had lived life as a social outcast a man who had experienced an abusive family life but most shocking of all a man who already had an extensive criminal past He was 37 years old at the time of the crime and had lived in a family which consisted of his parents and brother. His father was an alcoholic and violently abused the whole family. He had a number of physical confrontations with his father and recalled wanting to kill him by stabbing him with a knife. He ran away from home a number of times and was also violent towards animals. At school, he bullied other children as well as being bullied himself once he had even attacked a teacher. Eventually, he dropped out of school altogether. His father tried to get him psychiatric help, but he was denied treatment as it was deemed that his condition wasn't serious enough. After this, his father completely disowned him and both he and his mother then left the family. His brother continued to live with the father, but he had his own issues and would ultimately take his own life By stabbing himself with a knife. The man would go on to join the Japan Air Self Defense Force, which is responsible for the defense of Japanese airspace, but he was discharged after it was found out that he had had sexual relations with a minor. He then went on to rape a woman and was sent to prison for three years. After being released from prison, he held various jobs, including as a bus driver, but was fired after assaulting a woman due to the smell of her perfume. It was while he had a job transporting industrial waste that his truck struck another truck which killed everyone on board. He claimed it was the other driver's fault and he was never charged in the incident. But he was to go on and kill another person when his truck collided with a car. However, he had fled the scene and also got away with this killing. It was only after the school attack that he revealed these incidents while undergoing psychiatric evaluations. In another bizarre incident, he drove his car in reverse along a busy expressway. All in all, he had had a number of different jobs but could never hold down employment, either being dismissed or resigning himself. He continued to be arrested for various other crimes, and although he spent short amounts of time in prison, he mostly got off from getting any serious jail time due to psychiatric evaluations that concluded he suffered from mental illness. In regards to personal relationships, he had been married four times prior to the attack. The first marriage was to a female engineer at the Osaka University who was 18 years his senior but this marriage ended in divorce after only three months. His second marriage was then to a woman who worked at an elementary school and she was 19 years older than him. His third wife was two years older than him and the fourth wife was the only one who was younger than him. So as seen, the man was a social outcast who couldn't maintain personal relationships and was frequently in trouble with the law. Despite having such a well-documented crime record, the man went on to have a job as a maintenance worker at an elementary school, which was not the school he would eventually go on to attack. While working at that school, he put the tranquilizer to Mazapan into the tea of the teachers at the school. Four of the teachers had to go to hospital and he was then arrested and sent to a psychiatric hospital and was diagnosed with schizophrenia. When asked why he spiked the teacher's tea, he stated, quote, I was ignored by the teachers and did not go well with my family, and I wanted to relieve my anger due to human relationships. My wife wanted to divorce me, and I wasn't having good relations with co-workers. I didn't bear grudges against those teachers, but I just wanted to release my stress. He was never charged for this incident as he was deemed to be not responsible due to mental illness. So throughout his life, he would commit crimes, be sent to a psychiatric hospital and then be released after only a short time. So this now brings us to the day of the attack, which occurred early in the morning. It was discovered later that on that very same day, later in the afternoon, he was due to appear at the Osaka District Public Prosecutor's Office as a result of an assault that he had perpetrated on a hotel bellhop. He had been working as a taxi driver and when dropping off a passenger at a hotel, he got into a dispute with the hotel bellhop and broke his nose. He obviously did not have to answer to that incident as he had decided to attack the school on the same day instead. So, after the attack and after he was subdued, he was described as being in a confused state, first saying, quote, I went to the elementary school. And then he said, I went to the train station and stabbed 100 people with my knife. I did not go to the elementary school. And he further added, I've been disgusted with everything. I've tried to kill myself several times but couldn't. Give me a death sentence. When questioned by police, he stated that he had been having trouble sleeping and considered trying to kill himself the day before, but then got into his car, put a bag holding the knife on the seat next to him and drove into Aikida from his home nearby. So the man was set to go to trial, but before the trial commenced, He underwent a psychiatric assessment and was determined not to be suffering from schizophrenia as previously evaluated. Instead, he was diagnosed as having paranoid personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and antisocial personality disorder. It was determined he could tell right from wrong and therefore fit to stand trial. At the trial, when asked why he targeted a school, he stated, quote, I had a variety of reasons for targeting the school. One of them is that I wanted the public to know that even clever children of wealthy families can be killed in five or six seconds. I could have killed more if it had been a kindergarten. He also expressed his hatred for society due to placing too much emphasis on education. Quote, I don't think Scholastic studies are everything in the world. He also admitted that he had had plans to attack a woman's high school with a gun, as he wanted to have multiple women like Hitler had, and detailed what he had wanted to do. Quote, I would barricade myself into a well-respected girl's middle school with a gun. I would have sex with 30 girls in the class. Then I would slash everybody's face with a knife and surrender. I wish I could kill and injure even more people. I only killed eight people. That was it. It was such a small accomplishment. If I had a gun, I would attack girls' high schools. I would attack an airport and, indiscriminately, stab pretty faces like the airline crew. When taking the witness stand, the relatives of the children demanded an apology from the man. When asked, what he thought about their statements, he said, if I were in their shoes, I would not care a bit to hear an apology. He repeatedly refused to apologize to the families and even verbally insulted them. The man also made a claim that his actions were due to having taken an overdose of psychiatric drugs. However, a medical analysis showed that there was no trace of drugs in his body. Then, when the man's father testified, he stated that he had tried a number of times to have his son hospitalized in a mental health facility, but he always received the same answer, that his son's issues weren't serious enough. He said, I knew he was abnormal. I was the person most shocked to hear their decision. If they had accepted him, this tragedy would never have happened. So, after all the evidence was presented, the man was found guilty of multiple counts of murder, but before the judge was about to announce the sentence, the man requested to make one final statement. When the judge denied this request, he became abusive and was let out of the courtroom while saying, quote, Let me say something, as I'll be sentenced to death anyway. I should have used gasoline, so I could have killed more than I did. With the man removed, the judge made the following statement, quote, This case reveals a self-centred and exceedingly distorted personality. He showed no effects of any mental illness and therefore possessed sufficient mental capacity to be held criminally responsible for his actions. This is an unprecedented case of atrocity in the nation's criminal history. The grief and anger of the bereaved families is profound. There is no alternative but the death penalty. And the man's reaction to the sentence was this, For willfully killing the future elites, I will be killed by the nation. I find it satisfying. At least I will not die unexpectedly or die from being stabbed with a knife. His lawyers then went on to file an appeal but the man withdrew the appeal, wishing for the death penalty to proceed. Now, it would be an understatement to say that the man's actions deeply affected the Japanese people and his trial became highly publicised. Newspapers and TV stations reported daily on the trial details. So, with such a high profile, the man's fate was followed closely by one particular woman. She really couldn't believe what he had done and ultimately wanted to correspond with him, saying, quote, I wanted to talk to him to try to understand why he was so full of hate. So through his lawyer, they began writing letters to each other. She wanted them to meet face to face, but the prison rules did not allow death row prisoners to have visitors. However, there was one loophole. Only prisoners who had spouses could meet, so the two decided to get married. They didn't have a ceremony, only official paperwork was filled in. But they did finally meet in the prison a few weeks later, when the marriage paperwork had been made legal. And here is what she said that first meeting was like, albeit through a glass petition. Quote, My first feeling was simply fear. He was a murderer. Often he would just talk nonsense. She then continued to visit him, with the prison officials monitoring their conversations. She described him as being quite childlike and that he never expressed any remorse for what he had done. Despite the woman showing care and compassion for him, he never changed his stance or showed a softer side. She said, it was never in his heart to apologise, but I believe he came to see me as family, if even just a bit. So the man's execution by hanging was ultimately carried through. But the first his wife knew about it was when a prison official came to her apartment, saying to her, Your husband died well. She said, As soon as he opened his mouth, I fell to the ground and covered my ears. I never expected our time together to be so short. To be sentenced to death in Japan was very rare. As an example, in 2004, when the man was hanged, there were 60 people on death row, but only two had been executed. This is compared to the US, where 3,400 people were on death row and 65 were executed at the same time. In Japan, people on death row are not considered as prisoners and the facilities where they are detained are not referred to as prisons. Therefore, the inmates Don't receive the same rights as other prisoners. They are treated much more harshly and are held in solitary confinement without any contact with other inmates. They do not have access to television and are only allowed to have three books. It is believed that about 80% of the Japanese population support the death penalty. So the first part of the execution process is for a Buddhist priest to meet with the prisoner. In the man's case, he requested a Christian minister. Prisoners are only told of the execution one hour before, and there are no appeals or opportunities for final goodbyes. Once carried out, there is no official confirmation that the execution took place, and any request by the media for the names of the hanged is denied. It can only be revealed through the families or their lawyers. His widow said, All they said was that he was given a last cigarette and some juice to drink, and that he didn't cause a fuss. He wanted to leave the prison the way he went in. They have a crematorium at the prison, but he didn't want to be cremated. He wanted a Christian burial. So it may seem that this particular man slipped through the cracks of the mental health system in Japan, but his story wasn't an isolated case. The debate had long been going on in Japan, about whether patients should be screened for criminal tendencies and therefore be punished under the law or make it more difficult to get released from psychiatric facilities. Some argued that changing laws would lead to discrimination against the mentally ill, which was already a stigma in Japan. At the time of the attack, the mentally ill couldn't be punished, even for murder, and could be released from mental hospitals without court approval. In the five years before the school attack, some 3,500 mentally ill people were arrested for various crimes, but 90% were never charged. Out of this number, some 700 people had committed murder, but only 80 were indicted. So instead of going to prison, violent offenders were confined to mental hospitals, but there were no facilities for the criminally insane and doctors were not trained in how to deal with them his case understandably created more prejudice in Japan against the mentally ill that they are bound to commit violent crime however statistics actually show that the rate of crime amongst mentally ill people is actually low so such an attack on a school had been unprecedented so of course there were discussions about how to keep schools safe as a result Immediate measures were put into place, such as locking school gates and having guards posted at the gates. Parents also began patrols around schools and cameras were installed and teachers were even given self-defence courses. Some schools even armed teachers with noise alarms, which emitted loud ear-piercing alarms. There were even Y-shaped poles, which were given to teachers which were usually used by police to subdue people. And perhaps the most alarming of all, some teachers were given tear gas canisters. In response to the attack, here is what one school decided to do. A male teacher wearing a mask burst into a fifth grade classroom, holding an iron rod and started threatening the children. The children began screaming and hiding in the room wherever they could but this just turned out to be a safety drill. So, of course, this only resulted in the children being traumatised, with one girl vomiting and having to be hospitalised. Other children were afraid to be left alone at home and had trouble sleeping. But, as if this wasn't bad enough, at this very same school, only a week earlier, the school was having an assembly, and the principal called eight students to the stage and pretended to stab them with a knife. He ordered all of them to fall down as if they had been stabbed. And he said later, I was trying to make students understand the seriousness of the Aikido stabbing incident, but I acted inappropriately. I am sorry. So we can see how schools in Japan began overreacting after the massacre, but perhaps we should understand their reaction as it really had been something which was unknown of in Japan. So it's now been 20 years since the attack, and recently a special ceremony was held at the school to mark the occasion. Those present gathered at the monument located at the school's old main gate, where the perpetrator had entered the school. The ceremony began at 10.12am, which was the time the horrible ordeal had begun. The monument had eight bells, one for each of the victims, and each bell was rung as those attending observed a minute's silence. However, this year's ceremony was different from those in the past as the number had to be reduced due to COVID. Usually, there would be in excess of 1,000 people attending, but this year there were only 130. However, the students were able to watch a live stream of the event in their classrooms. And here is the statement that the principal made at the ceremony quote: "At that time, we were not prepared for the possible intrusion of a suspicious person due to our belief that schools were a safe place. There is no shortcut to guaranteeing the safety of schools, so we must continue, our steady efforts and not let this incident fade away. For you, the children who died in the attack Aikida Elementary School that you loved will vow to continue efforts to serve as a place where children can learn with a sense of safety and security, working with other schools in Japan and the whole world. Now, you know that I would normally like to find stories about the victims in the podcast episodes that I present, but it was very difficult to find much information. But I did find a short piece about one of the girls who died, and she was seven-year-old Yuki Hongo. Following her death, her father's life took a whole new direction. He became an advocate for school safety, giving many public speeches, and each year he would do something to commemorate his daughter and this year he made her a birthday cake so as it had been 20 years ago he made the cake with the numbers 27 i've seen a photo of the cake with yuko's photo next to the cake of herself as a seven-year-old although he has given so many speeches sometimes he becomes overwhelmed with emotion but he continues with a sense of duty Convey his message of school safety. He said, I know Yuki did her best despite the enormous pain until the last moment of trying to make it. I should not run away from a request just because it is painful to revisit that day and share my thoughts. So, as we've seen, this kind of attack on a school with multiple victims had been unheard of in Japan. The previous mass killing had been about five years earlier where a nerve gas had been released into a subway killing 13 people. But unfortunately, in the 20 years since this school attack, violent crime and massacres have increased in Japan. So, how do you feel about the man receiving the death penalty? I used to be in favour of it, but after following so much true crime, and the countless cases of innocent people being wrongly convicted, I now think that it should only be used in exceptional circumstances where the guilt of the person is beyond doubt. And I think this was the case with this particular man. So for me, the sentence was warranted. So as we saw, he decided to target an elite school. And so what would be the reason for that? Well, I think because he didn't succeed at school himself. And he was bullied at school, so it wasn't a very um, good experience for him. And that's why he decided that he was going to target an elite school. And because he himself couldn't succeed in society as is expected in Japanese culture. And an interesting fact that I found out is that Japan considers itself so safe that children as young as six and seven Travel to school on public transport alone, and they can even be seen in busy subway systems. Incredible. And the other question that I had was why did he decide to attack the school on the day that he was supposed to go to court? Did he figure that he had nothing to lose? He had already been in trouble so much. So he thought he might as well do something big, and maybe he even hoped that the police would actually kill him and that he would die because he had tried to commit suicide previously and actually had failed. So as I already said, I really wanted to find out more about these eight children and more about their lives, but I did manage to find a special song that was written about this tragedy, which you can now hear playing in the background. So one of the girls killed was six-year-old Rina Yamashita. At school, she had written an essay about a well-known Japanese singer named Hikaru Utada saying how much she admired her and her essay actually went on to win an essay competition. So when the singer heard the little girl's tragic story, she decided to write a song dedicated to her and said, This is the most beautiful song I have ever made and I wish Rina-chan had heard it too. And unfortunately, this story is yet another example of people who are hurting in some way, who want to inflict maximum pain on other people, and that's why they target schools. Just such a sad, sad story. And now, let's preview the next episode, it's called, Cubicle. The schoolgirl was brutally murdered, but who did it? And to end this episode, I thought I would leave you with two quotes, the first about children, and the second about the death penalty. Little children are a treasure, their worth you cannot measure. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Bye for now and remember to be a good apple.